and we are live. All right, guys, welcome to the Golf Podcast Live. I'm your host, Raphael Calamat. I'm in Mississauga, which is in Toronto at the Mindshare Workspace. And uh, with me, as always, we have Michael Bleakley in Vancouver over at Evolve Creative Solutions. We got a very special show for you today. But before we get started, just a special shout out to our Canadian, Adam Svensson, who wins his first PGA Tour event pretty incredible. We're, we're thrilled. 70 starts on the PGA Tour. He has a couple of Corn Ferry Tour w- wins, but he wins at the RSM Classic. Puts him into the Century Tournament of Champions over at Kapalua with that elevated purse, which is going to be $15 million. So uh, just wanted to mention that. Obviously, we're a Canadian podcast, so I had to mention that. But today we've got a great guest. We've got Mr. Barney Adams. He is, in fact you know, in the Texas Golf Hall of Fame. He's also uh, the inventor of Tight Lies, and not to mention the founder of Adams Golf. Barney, welcome to the show. So the question is, is Adam going to be a contender for the Canadian Open? It's a great question. I love that we're getting into it right away. Who was the last last winner? The last Canadian winner? Yes. Was George Knudsen, Uh, wasn't it? No, 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 it's not George. It was Fletcher. Fletcher, there you go. Pat Fletcher. Pat Fletcher. Fletcher. Look, I was a a assistant golf professional at Royal Montreal Golf Club. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Fletchers were members over there. Uh, They ran Fletcher Golf Distribution. I think they were the first ones to carry Adams in Canada uh, as well. Um, And uh, Pat Fletcher won in 19, uh, I'm going to say 53. Something like early 50s, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. that's a big yeah. deal because but it's been tough on the Canadians. They just can't, they can't, they can't do it. Win. Mike Weir had a shot at it uh, years back, yep. but uh, they put Canadian flags all over the place and just, you know, doubled the pressure on him. But yep. Svensson, uh, I, I played out on the VGT on the amateur side, but Svensson's a, a local BC guy here and he he's kicked ass out there. Um, he is uh, one of our sleeping giants and as a Canadian golfer. He really has potential to to win a Canadian Open, and we yeah. got a good half dozen guys out there who've got a shot at it. So, so we'll see. Be good it's, to see him win. That'd be neat. It, it would be great. I think um, you know we we Canadians need it. It's been way too long since one of us have taken home the home trophy. My my friend Lauren Roberts will write a big story about it. Yeah. Yep. Great, yep. great writer. Fantastic that you mentioned him. Um, Barney, you know, we're here to talk about a little bit about what you've done. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started in golf production and products, your background in golf. I don't want to go too far back because you probably have lots of stories in the golf business. Uh, But let's start off with golf. How did you get involved with products and getting them developed? There's a book called The Wow Factor, W-O-W, that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I wrote it is because I've been asked this question trillions of times. And if I answered it fully, you don't have enough airtime. Right. <laughs> so it just, it was a, it was a passion driven decision that made no sense economically or business wise or anything else. It just was one of those things that I said I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the hell with everything else. Mm-hmm. It's for, very for the, rare. Go ahead. 
Yeah, for those of us who don't know who Barney is, uh, t- tell us uh, how you got involved in golf. Uh, just a, just a, maybe a Coles Notes version of uh, uh, who Barney Adams is and how you got involved with golf. When I was uh, 13 years old, I had a job at a local uh, country club, upstate New York. Your kind of weather. I grew up in your guys' kind of weather. And uh, I was just a golfer. And part of my job with the people, when they, this is before golf carts, so people would push their push carts uh, outside the room where they were stored when they were finished playing. And it was my job to move them into the room, put them in line, clean the clubs, et cetera. Yep. And I noticed <clears throat> during that, I was about 12 or 13 years old. And what I noticed in that process was that the long irons were always clean. Mm. And I can remember thinking to myself, well, why do you have them? <laughs> you know, be, yeah. if you don't hit them, why do you have right. them? It was that kind of thinking that stuck with me forever. I could give you, you know, another dozen incidents, but that, that it was just where my head was. What, what year would that be? That was if you, when you were 13. 14, it was about when Pat Fletcher was winning. Oh, that's about 19. You know, it's funny because you talk about New York State and wasn't golf banned on Sundays in New York? No. Like you couldn't play golf until, I think, until 1952, uh, you know, hunting and, you know, uh, racing and circuses and golf. The ban was lifted in 1952 in New York. I was just reading an article recently, so it's, it's kind of funny. Could be. I don't know. I mean... This was a tiny little town of 800 people. We kind of did our own thing, I think. Right. Um, so 1983, you hooked up with Dave Pels, or is, is and, and then that is that what sort of uh, pushed you into designing clubs and getting into the golf business? Because you you took over the 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 assets of the company after he went bankrupt. Is that right? Well, sort of. It was actually it was. Uh, I think it was earlier than that, but I can't remember back that far. But his uh, people that financed him, yeah, I had met one of them, and they asked me to come down to Abilene. They were the Pell's company was struggling, and they asked me to come down to Abilene to see if I could help them. And they were oil guys, yeah. And about the time that I first went down there, oil prices dropped considerably, and so did their business, mm-hmm. and. Times were very, very difficult, and they got foreclosed on for several things, not the least of which was Pell's Golf, because mm-hmm. Pell's Golf could not afford to pay back the loans that it had. Right. And that's, that's what I walked into, was that situation where the bank was standing outside the door, tapping its foot, but I don't know where the hell its money was, and right. you know, so on and so forth. And even with that type of environment, uh, I loved it. I, I just, I, I loved being in and around the golf business. When I remember back when I graduated from college back in 1960, I sent a letter out to each of the major manufacturers explaining to them what a wonderful human being I was and they should hire me and so on and so forth. And of course got zero responses, mm-hmm. but mm. being asked these type of questions over the years, it just, it just gets through my head how, how serious I was about the golf business. I mean, I, I forgotten about all these things. Yeah. So well, with Pels, um, I went down to the bank and I said, look, you know, you've been paid as much as you're going to be paid. There's nothing here. Come 
over and take a look. You can, you can have whatever you want. There's nothing there except some, some old desks and something in a building we rented. So they wrote it off and I took it over. Yeah. And then did you start getting into fairway wood design? Because, I mean, everyone knows uh, right. the Tight Lights product. Uh, you know, Raph and I both had them back in the day. And yeah. uh, um, But was that your your, your first product line uh, was getting into the fairway woods? or No, not at all. Uh, thought never crossed my mind. I, hmm. I, I, I did have a set of irons that I designed that were actually pretty good looking clubs. I've got some around. I look at them. I say, hell, these aren't bad. Yeah. And but what happened was, as time went on, um, <clears throat> I moved the company from Abilene, Texas, to Dallas, Texas, mm -hmm. because Abilene is so small and such a tiny little out of the way place that you know you, you really didn't have much of a chance there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when I say I moved, I mean rented a truck <laughs> and physically loaded it, broke my damn back and drove it to Dallas where we had rented a little bitty place in Dallas and transferred the operation to Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Whereupon, uh, through a friend of mine, I went out, ended up uh, very quickly going out to the Haney Golf Ranch, which at the time was one of the premier uh, lesson-based facilities, not only in Texas, but probably in the country, because this, this would have been... Uh, by now, yeah, early 90s, that's what it would have been now, 91 or so. And uh, I ran into Hank, I didn't know him. And I said, hey, I got an idea. Um, you got this end of your range, which doesn't get used very much. I'll set up a, a custom fitting operation here. Mm -hmm. You teach down at the other end. And if I am lucky enough to sell any products, we'll sell them through you. So it's to your advantage, blah, blah, with the details. And he said, sure. And that's how I got started. I got started custom fitting in the early 90s when it really wasn't being done. Yeah. And it was the environment of custom fitting that changed everything. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. You know, um, I used to run a few couple of academies out of Montreal and we worked with um, several club fitters and then worked with uh, Tom Wish on product at the time. And mm -hmm. a similar type of situation we'd set up at the end of the range, we'd have our lessons, we'd introduce product and get things going. That's really, it's really interesting. And that Hank Haney uh, relationship, that's, that's very interesting. Now you've got the BGT product, which is Breakthrough Golf Technologies. Uh, there's stability shafts, from what I understand. Uh, Mike's played uh, with them, so he's uh, raving about them. I'm, I'm excited to try them out sometime soon. Uh, there's the putter shafts. And what really caught my attention, Barney, was the uh, wedge shafts. Now, I've, I've been complaining about wedge shafts for years. They're not light enough. The kick points aren't uh, they're different. You know, the length, the look of the shafts. And so I think it's the next uh, big thing for, uh, within the golf community anyhow. Uh, do you I, hope, have... I hope so. <laughs> well, if the word gets out within the larger the smaller golf community uh, on the pga tour champions tour lpga that's really how everything's kind of springboards um uh, do you have any players on tour playing your shafts stability shafts putter shafts or wedge shafts right now yeah we do dealing with the tour is one main fact money mm -hmm. You go up to a tour player and introduce yourself. And the next thing you know, there's a guy standing between you and it's, yeah. it's, it's the player's agent. 
and he wants yep. to know, oh, Paul, really, tell me what you're doing here, and is there, a, you know, is there money in it, and so on and so forth. And yeah. we can't play that game because we're not that well financed. So we have to earn our way onto the tour, which is very, very, very difficult because tour players are trained not to get caught up in all of the hype and so on and so forth. You know, like I say, they, they depend upon their agent or maybe a good friend. We, we just got a phone, uh, yeah, a phone call from uh, Retief Goosen and said, hey, mm. are you the guys that make these clubs, these shafts? You know, these are great. Can, can you make some for me? Yeah. Well, that's the way it goes. You know, he doesn't know who we are. And, and it's, it's a one at a time deal when you do that kind of stuff. Yeah, those Champions Tour guys are great because they don't care anymore. Uh, I was listening to Rocco Media talk about he wants to buy all his own clubs because he wants to use exactly what he wants to use. Be it grips, shafts, club heads. He's got a mixed bag of things. And he just wants to buy them. He doesn't want to get sponsored. He's had a great career. And he wants, and then when you see players like that using, there's that trickle down effect. You know, if Rocco's using it, then other people are going to try it. You know, if the yeah, best sure. players in the world yeah. are using it. Um, and that's what it comes down to. So you, I guess you need to affiliate yourself with the club companies to you put their shafts as an option. Never happened. Uh, never happened. They, they, they all, <laughs> what do they I all know? have. They all have, well, because they all have NIH, not invented right. here. Right. And if you go knock on their door with a product that I don't care how good it is, and I know, I know how good our stuff is, and you go knock on their door with our stuff, they think of reasons not to do business with you because they did not come up with it. Right. Sorry, that's, that's the truth. I know yeah. these guys. I've been in it for 40 years. It's the, like Raph said, I have um, shafts in two of my putters. Uh, I recently got the driver shaft. Uh, I, I almost paid for the first putter shaft, the, the first round I played for it. I won about half of my money back. You know, mm -hmm. it cost me a few hundred bucks to get it installed. And I did really well making putts from, from everywhere. So, uh, but what, what is it uh, that pushed you to, to reinvent the driver, the putter shafts? Cause it's like sort of a forgotten thing. No one thinks about putter shafts, but you've put it on the table now. And that was one of the reasons uh, I was retired. Yeah. You know, and I'm supposed to, you know, that was another thing about going back to Adam's golf. Your first question, I was 50 years old when I started. So, I mean, everything was wrong, trust me. <laughs> and uh, so now I'm retired. And of course, I'm interested in golf and golf products. And I got in a conversation with this guy and he was telling me about how they had a, a unique camera that shot at 100,000 frames a second. It was a NASA camera. And they were looking at watching the putting stroke and it could see a little smudge, so to speak, during the stroke, which meant that the shaft was moving. Mm. And that really got my interest because if the shaft is moving, the head is moving. Mm -hmm. And if the head is moving, that means that statistically speaking, there's a certain number of times where it's going to come back to the ball at an angle. Mm -hmm. And that's the last thing you, you, you can't play with that. You gotta, it's got to come back to the ball square. Yeah. yeah. However, you take that situation that I just gave you. You could fix that situation in a heartbeat by making the shaft quite heavy mm -hmm. or increasing the width of the shaft. Both of those things, the golfer, <coughs> excuse me, the golfer feels. And that's a bad thing. That means yeah. that yeah. he has to adjust to it. Yeah. So, so that's, the order, that's the compromise, right, Barney? I mean, you're going to lose feel uh the sacrifice for that and but you get a little bit more stability 
it would have been the compromise, but we refused to accept it. Mm. We said that that we will have the putter shaft come back square, but it has to feel, balance. You theoretically close your eyes, couldn't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. That took a couple of years. That was very difficult, but uh, we have achieved that. If, for example, if you took our putter shaft and just balanced it on your finger and balanced the steel shaft of the same length next to it, they would be just about the same. And that's okay. what you have to do. So once we did that, then I felt like we had a pretty decent product to offer the public. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know, it's not LA has made a big splash with their shafts, uh, mostly because they got some players behind it, like Bryson and uh, Michelle Wee. Uh, some some great marketing and commercials. So there's a lot of LA shafts out there. Uh, I haven't as seen as much with the BGT, but hopefully seeing that soon. Uh, hopefully they, seeing that they pay and we don't. Yeah. Sorry, that's just that's that. They pay their players. We don't play that. We don't pay their. We've been told, like an L. I will say it. I won't name any names, but an LA shaft. If you match what I get from LA shaft, I'm glad to play your club. Mm. Right. Not, not going to do it. Yeah, it's uh, I, I like the way you're going about it because you know as a business owner I can respect capital and, and uh, I think uh, it'll take a little longer, but uh, BGT's reputation will, will grow as, as players decide say hey fuck it I'm putting it in the bag you know I, I don't care because it, it, it comes down to it they'll make money on putts if if you help them uh, have make lower putts that that's that's dollars in their eyes and uh, I've seen it as an amateur. Uh, I've seen it with your driver shaft, for example, I, I uh, ordered it with the Titleist tip, put it in the range and I had the prior settings. So my driver was slightly closed and, you know, to help me with my draw bias. Uh, now with yours, I have everything set flat and I'm hitting the center of the face way more often than I, than I was with my prior shaft. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you do there. And, but yeah. how much would one's player like for in the wedge game, which is, arguably 70% of your score. Um, how, how much would the wedge shafts improve one's accuracy you know, around the greens? Honest answer, no idea. Yeah. Races for horses. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a golf business. Yeah. Golf, golf products are not sold. Golf equipment products, they're bought. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between those two things. When something is bought, you've got to incentivize the buyer to get up off his butt, turn the TV off, do whatever, and go buy something, or at the very least, look for it online. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 really funny because I get constant samples of letters, et cetera, with people who've really designed a nice product. And I, you know, I'm good for them. I, you know, I, I, I good work that you've done, and so on. It's not a product business. Yeah. It's a marketing business. And if you want your product to be, I'll give you guys two stats. One, PGA show, Orlando, Florida. Right. Went for years. Just for the heck of it, one day I sat down and I took my PGA show books. They give you about who the attendees are and so on and so forth. Counted 129 companies over a 10-year period that went to that show that are no longer in business. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go to the PGA show, you're saying, here I am, I'm ready for the big time. That's the nature. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a worldwide show actually. And yet 129 companies 
Some were probably underfinanced, but some of them I recognized and I knew they weren't, et cetera. It's, <laughs> it has nothing to do with product. I mean, your product's got to be good. That's a given. Yeah. But that's just the first step. you got to be able to market it. The four leading companies, Ping, Titleist, Callaway, and TaylorMade, four leading companies in golf today who own about 90% of the marketplace. Same four companies 40 years ago. Wow. Does that tell you anything? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a tight market. It's controlled, right? Like it's, well, you they have your... monopoly because they have the, 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 the cash flow. They've got good product, good R&D. They're mm -hmm. able to source and market and do all the things a major corporation is able to do. And yep. most of the little guys are just struggling, scraping by just to pay their bills. Exactly. Uh, as soon as that... you expand and get to a point where you need to expand, uh, the overhead's way too high. You get killed. And, and yeah. you get killed. Yeah, you get killed. Yeah, but, but it sounds like you got a good thing going because the product seems to be speaking for itself. You have a reputation behind you. I'm going to uh, suggest to everyone to go out there and get your book called Wow. Where can uh, people get that book? Is that on Amazon? I think so. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I wrote it to answer the questions that I was getting. And it's also a bit about entrepreneurism because many years ago, I won an award for the Entrepreneur of the Year. And I was getting a lot of questions about the world of entrepreneurism and so on. Yeah. So I included that in the book. Oh, interesting. There's, a, there's an old saying that says there's a very fine line between entrepreneurism and insanity. And I qualify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right in that. It's, uh, you know, it, it's got, um, it's a roller coaster, you know, uh, you know, of, of positive and negatives. And it's, it, it's, it, it's tough. It's not for everybody. No. Um, and Mike, I'm going to have to jump off of here because I'm limited on time uh, uh, today, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm going to ask you a great question, Barney. One of the things that we like to ask our, um, for the people that come on and our guests is if you had an ultimate foursome, if you had, it has nothing to do with your product. If you had an ultimate foursome and you wanted to go out there, I'm thinking that you play golf sometimes still, right? You get out there. Uh, what would your ultimate foursome be? Dead or alive, we have to exclude family. If you think of any player or any person, who would you go out and play golf with? That, I, again, question I've been asked a dozen times. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, changed. it's changed over the years because I can't play anymore. Right. Back when I, you know, and I was never a great player. I was, I was what I would call a decent player, okay? The three handicap type of thing. Um, but uh, I played several times with Mo Norman, one of your guys. Awesome. Wow. I was going to ask That's you. That's incredible. You, Mo. Yeah. yeah. We, we could do a whole, we could do a whole show on that if you want to, because I, we're, I play quite a bit with Mo. We're actually planning on doing a special for Mo at some point in the in uh, next year and uh, getting more people. To, if you, you want to come back in a few months and, uh, and get into Mo a little deeper, uh, we, we would love to have you. Uh, we're going to sure. ask Lauren Rubenstein and, um, and yeah. it, you know, we just had Andrew Stelmack on who wrote a book about Mo. Um, you know, so yeah, that, that, I was going to ask you, so, but go on, let's hear. Uh, well, Mo, Mo, would be, Mo would definitely be one. Lee Trevino, who I've been pleasure to play with several awesome. times. Yeah. Everything he hit came right out of the center of the club face. He would say, now Barnyard, you got to watch here. This pins over the right-hand side. So you want the ball with a little left or right spin. And while he's talking to me, he's swinging. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that's what's isn't that great? Just, this beautiful golf Love it. Yeah. Tommy Bolt from the old days. Yeah. Uh, with several times. And I can remember the first time I played with him, I asked him if he would mind if I would stand behind him because I loved watching this golf swing. It just, it just never moved. It was just absolutely perfect on plane. Stayed there all the time. Uh, after that, I don't know, Watson, I played quite a bit with Tom and he's, he's, we, we go fishing, you know, so we would be talking about fishing that golf. So. Yeah. Arnold, Arnold, baby, you know, same kind of a deal, but yeah, I've been very lucky. I played with some, some wonderful players, but some nice guys too. You know, <laughs> played with that's any great. presidents. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh, uh, George Bush, uh, uh, is actually a friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I played with him a whole bunch of times and, uh, he, he just, just the nicest guy. I mean, I really admire him, you know, with all the pressure he's under and so on, but he is really a nice guy and he'll kid around with you, you know, have a good time and so on. Likes to play 18 holes in 25 minutes, but what the hell, you know? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. something I compiled that got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of <clears throat> feedback on social media, Barney, was I did a goat pyramid, you know, post 1920. So I guess when shafts went from hickory to steel, anything, before 1920, it's really hard to gauge players. So I, I created a, a greatest of all time pyramid. And I put I put Tiger up there with, with Jack and Hogan, and then uh, put Sam Sneed, Arnie, uh, and Walter Hagen on the next tier of players, so, you know, with, with the wins mm -hmm. and majors. And uh, then I had Byron Nelson, Phil Mickelson, Gary Player, and Tom Watson on the next tier of players. And you wouldn't believe the outcry of people saying, what are you doing? You can't put this player in front of that player. I was just exactly. having fun one day putting a pyramid together. But it's uh, it's great. But I had Lee Trevino on the next list with, you know, Hale Irwin and Bernard Longer. I was counting their Champions Tour wins as well. Because, you know, you look at a guy like Bernard's one now 44 times. <laughs> and uh and then you know hale with with the amount of times that he won as well so uh it was great but then i got you know sevy and a whole bunch of other guys below that like nick faldo yeah. um, you haven't mentioned one of the all-time greats oh, george, that? george newton george yeah george newton yeah. one of the greatest ball strikers that ever lived I, yeah that's right you know something mike i think uh I think I think Barney might be Canadian after all. Uh, you know, he knows a little you're, bit too much about. Uh, you're about definitely uh, <laughs> you know a lot more about Canadian golf history than than many of us Canadians. So, which well, is great. I, I actually went to college uh, sixty miles from Montreal. Okay, is that right? This is the, in the Upper New York State border. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. That's, that's Albany, possibly. Is that, uh, uh, Potsdam, Potsdam. Oh, oh, so yeah. a little yeah, engineering, a real tiny little engineering school. You come north of the border to uh, drink at a uh, younger age? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I tell so, you what, I, what we used to do, I tended bar for a guy. His brother was a tailor in Montreal, took care of the Canadians players. In return, they gave him lots of tickets to the games. Sometimes the tickets would get filtered down to me. Yeah. So I get my buddy who was a, uh, Clarkson was a big hockey school in those days, and he was a hockey player. And we would go to Montreal and we would scalp the tickets and then we would, this is the old forum. And then we would go up to the top yep. of the old forum, which is the walk around for $2 and watch the game and then have enough money left over to spend 
for the rest of the weekend in Montreal. Sometimes we came home on Sunday. Sometimes we came home on Tuesday. It all depended yeah. on what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story. I'm, yeah. You know, that's my hometown, Barney. You know, I'm, Me too. I'm from Montreal and uh, born there. go down go down to the forum and uh, watch hockey games growing up. Guys, unfortunately, I got to let you go. Barney, I hope we could uh, do this again sometime. And uh, Mike's going to stay on with you and uh, talk a little bit more golf. And uh, maybe we could partner up our podcast. Well, we're getting out there on 17 platforms. We've got thousands of viewers every week. It's growing exponentially by 450% monthly. We've been doing it for about a year. So uh, great to have you on. Take care. And hopefully sure. we'll talk soon. Okay, yeah. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for sticking around, Barney. Um, the, uh, I guess you've intrigued me with your arrest stories, you know, cause we usually like to talk some embarrassing stuff, but why don't we start with, uh, since you brought it up, uh, you know, once you run us through, uh, your, uh, your misbehaving. They were all mental. That's, 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 they're, <laughs> they're bullshit. They're flat lie. Oh, okay. But there, but, but there were some close calls. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's all right. It's um, you know better to uh, to get away with uh, out getting into yeah. some you know some bar fueled arguments that yeah. got a little rough from time to time and so on. Yeah, stuff yeah. that happens. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it it happens, especially uh, out in a bar. I used to DJ for many years. I still do occasionally. So, seen a lot of uh, wild things out there. What about um, you know any embarrassing or funny moments that you've encountered uh, you know with pros or just yourself in the golf course and you've you know obviously played with a lot of uh, interesting people there's there's got to be something out there uh, uh, I was down to the Greenbrier several years ago when uh, Sneed was had left the honorary position there and Watson had taken his place and Watson that's when he was on our staff <clears throat> and he had t- taken his major suppliers down there. Yeah, we would play 18 holes and Tom would play three holes with each, you know, different groups and so on. And we're on the range getting balls. And Tom was walking around with Sam Snead. And I was hitting balls and I could hear Watson behind me saying, Sam, watch Barney. He's got a pretty good swing. And said, Sam says, Tom, a cow could hit him here. Yeah, no, I never forgot that. Yeah, pretty, no. pretty true statement, too. Oh, that's great. Green I can, remember, uh, I can remember playing with Mo around the green and he missed a putt and he shook his putter up with the sky and he said, This isn't golf. This isn't golf. It walked off the green. He hated putting. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I just read um, <clears throat> a book about him. It's actually a novel that compiled his stories together called Send in the Clown. And just seeing video of, of, of Mo over the years, I could just hear his voice and everything I was reading. And uh, it was clear he doesn't like to work on putting and probably might have held him back a little bit. But um, he was a unique character. And in those times, golf was, uh, in a, you know, arguably an elitist game. And there, he had a hard time, you know, friend wasn't enjoying it, you know, from everything that I've, I've read about Mo on the PGA Tour, which is a shame. And do you think if, he was around in this time, you know, would the golf world, you know, be more accepting of him? I think so. I, the, the press coverage is deeper and so on. I mean, yeah. you know, people think that Mo was autistic. Yeah. But, but he wasn't. Uh, when Mo was a young man, his uh, early teens, 11, 12 years old, he and a buddy were on a toboggan and they mm-hmm. went out of control and that's right. Run out in the street, got run over by a truck. And it was only the soft snow that saved his life. 
Yeah. And when he walked into the house that night, he was dribbling blood from his nostril and his ear, but he walked into the house. Yeah. And, you know, family said, okay, all right, all right. He ate dinner, went to bed. And then the next day, and then from there on, he was never the same. Yeah. But he wasn't, uh, he didn't go to a, a brain specialist. You know, they were a very poor family and mm-hmm. he was just Mo. He, he wasn't very social. He no. didn't like most people at all. The reason that I got along with him was because of hockey. I, I knew hockey. I could talk a little bit about hockey. He was a huge hockey fan. So, you know, he, had, he, he, he liked it. I had guys. There was a place down in Florida called Royal Oak Country Club, mm-hmm. which was owned by the Canadian PGA. And Mo used to spend his winters down there. Well, my mom lived on one of the fairways for Royal Oak. That was the okay. time. So I would walk over to the range and I'd see him on the range, you know, and we would talk hockey for a while. And that's how I kind of broke the ice with him, so to speak. And I made his clubs for the later years too. I made a couple of sets. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. No, that's yeah. really cool. What a way to, to get to know him. Cause, uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, it was always someone I knew of, but I'm a bit younger than him. So never had a chance to, to get around him or see him in person or meet him. But, uh, from what I've read, he, uh, he had to accept you, you know, and it sounds like you had the right criteria. I did. If he didn't accept you, he turned his back on you. Literally, yeah. you'd walk up to him and say, hi, Mo, and he'd, he'd just do a 180 and turn his back on you. Yeah. So it wouldn't yeah. talk to you. He was uh, he was hitting balls one time, and I was there, and I have to be there with a, a bunch of assistant pros. And he hit one a little fat. And one of the assistant pros, and, and when Mo hit balls, it was like he had, the, he had the next one airborne before the first one got down almost. It was that fast. Yeah. And one of the assistants asked him, he said, Mo, a couple of shots ago, you hit her a little fat. I said, what'd you think about? And Mo wheeled around and he said, think about it. Think about it. I don't think about bad shots. I only think about good shots. Yeah. And he turned around and started. The, I always thought, you know, that's a brilliant thought. Mm-hmm. Why, why let bad shots get in your head? Think about the good ones. Well, everyone, we can all learn from that. You know, like every golfer on the amateur side has those nemesis holes that uh, you're scared of when you're in the parking lot. All right. So, uh, you know, that, that is, uh, is solid advice. So, um, where, where are you playing out of now? Are you, you, you're in Palm desert still, or are you? Yeah, I'm in Indian, I'm in Indian Wells, California. Yeah. Uh, between here and Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah. It's a follow the sun deal for old people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't blame you. You know, at a hundred percent and and BGT is operating out of Texas. Is that correct? Out of Dallas, Texas. Dallas, That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, I'm involved with it, but they don't need me there. Yeah. You know, I'm in the way if I'm there, there, we, we have goals. We, we have Monday meetings over the phone and so on and they do very well without me. So I say the hell out of the way. Yeah. No, just give them the ideas and, and let them run with it. And so were you instrumental in the design of, uh, of the shaft? Uh, you know, uh, what, what was your role there? I told the guys that were there <clears throat> that get ready. I'm going to get more credit than I deserve for what we do. Yeah. And I, and I have, yeah. uh, I, I, I have input because I have a lot of experience and especially when it comes to how the golfer is going to react to it, because yeah. I was a range guy. I mean, I worked, many hundreds and hundreds of hours on the range, mm-hmm. but we have engineers that are far more talented than I am as far as picking the right materials, how you deal with them and so on and so forth. So I have a, I make a small participation. Yeah. 
Well, there's so much technology uh, breakthroughs, uh, you know, hence the name of your company. But, um, you know, there's some with the materials is endless. We had uh, graphene coming into play and carbon fibers, huge in golf. And um, I, I noticed on the website, you talk about counterfeiting. Is, is that a problem with, with your products at this moment? Or, uh, the, way life. Yeah. the way of life in the golf business. Yeah. Knockoffs. I guarantee you. I could walk into most stores and say, let me see your knockoffs. And they might have to go into a closet or something, but there it is. It looks just like the name brand that's out on the floor, but it's a lot less. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. uh, And the people, by the way, the people that make the knockoffs are the same people making your gloves for you in Asia. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's four 30. We shut down the blah, blah line. And now it's time to make the knockoffs. Right. Same thing, just different pattern on the back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's got to be irritating, uh, I, I suppose. Uh, I'm seeing your products being uh, punched out uh, like that. Yeah, when we when we first went to Asia with the uh, stability putter shaft, mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a picture. There was a guy put a sign on his door, the Stability Shaft Company, and he had a all knockoffs of what we were doing and he was telling everybody it was his idea wow. <laughs> so welcome like to the a, game jeez yeah that's <laughs> frustrating right but i mean at the end of the day everyone's going to know your reputation and, and it your product is sold like i, I get mine through uh, i bought the the uh, shaft for the driver directly from uh, bgt but the two putter shafts i got through a local fitter here um you know so so i mean it, it's uh, <clears throat> I would assume it'd be hard to buy counterfeit equipment through these guys. You know, uh, I would have to think they hold themselves to high regard and, and wouldn't be buying knockoffs. So, yeah, and also counterfeit is more of a volume issue. Yeah, you know, if, if you're if you're selling tons of stuff, that's a bad word, tons. But if you're selling a lot of product, mm-hmm. then counterfeiting becomes a little more uh, appealing because the numbers work out pretty well. If you're a custom fitter and you're, you know, only doing a few a month and so on. Why bother with counterfeit? Yeah, well, for sure. And anyone who's going for custom fit as a golfer <laughs> is is looking to put the quality in the bag because because at, at the end of the day, we're trying to save strokes, uh, uh, gain yards, you know, whatever, wherever it may be. That's why uh, we're custom fitting. Uh, one thing I, I noticed: there's a lot of content online about your T it forward campaign. Is, is that something you're still working on? Uh, um, you know, I, I do agree with it. I, I think people get drawn by ego and, and uh, get too far back on the tees and, uh, you know, are taking away their fun in, in the game. Years ago, probably seven, eight years now, I have a friend here in the desert that's a very good teacher. And he had a student, uh, Canadian kid, as a matter of fact. And, and he had a conflict. He had another guy coming in and he said to me, Barb, would you mind playing uh, nine holes with a Canadian kid? And I could take care of this other guy. I said, sure. I said, you know, I love to have these guys out drive me 80, 90, 100 yards and so on and so yeah. forth. <laughs> so I know he came over to this club where I played and I was thinking about playing with him. And then I, we got in the first tee and I said, I think I'm going to change the game today. And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, I know you guys. And I know that, you know, you're going to out hit me 80 yards and so on. Big deal. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move you back so that your tee shot ends up hitting into the green the way mine does. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm going to have to work this out because if you think about <clears throat> club design and if you think about course design, golf courses are designed for a shot that goes up into the air with spin on it and lands and stops reasonably close. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a, a pin, the infamous pin stuck behind the trap routine, you've got to hit that kind of a shot. Well, if you're like me and some of the old tougher's like me and you're way back and you've got a fairway wood in your hand and you're hitting a low bullet, if you hit it good, it's yeah. not going to stop if it gets on the green anyway. No chance. And so you're making the course much harder. So without going into a lot of detail, when I did that to him, he quit after four holes. And he said, well, this isn't, this is not, this is ridiculous. These holes aren't made to be played this way. Yeah. And I said, no fooling. That's my whole point. We're playing a golf course unlike the way it's designed to be played. Mm -hmm. So after we played, we had a beer, you know, life goes on. And I got thinking about it. I wrote a, I like to write. <clears throat> and I wrote a story about it. And the next thing I know, I'm getting calls from people. You know, it got one, one little golf magazine published it. And then somebody else picked it up. And uh, the PGA called me and they said, uh, we'd like to encompass this. And we want to call it Tee It Forward. I didn't really like to get forward because I, I think it's a little more complex than that, but hell just getting that, but a lot of publicity was, was good. And that was seven or eight years ago. It's still out there. It's still used not as well as it could be. And frankly, not as understand under, understood as well as it could be, but it's yeah. something, it's something. And, and it, I've had a lot of club pros tell me that it saved the life of a lot of guys that were going to give up the game because they were just sick and tired of playing the, you know, the back tees. Yeah. It, it's, um, it, 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 I mean, I can play back there. I I'm a low single digit cap. Don't hit it that far. Uh, you know, and a lot of the guys I play in tournaments with, like you said, are 30, 40, 60 yards ahead of me. Um, uh, but I, I can, you know, keep up with them, but I don't mind going forward and switching it up. And, um, I'm actually organizing a, a very mini tournament with a few guys at my club to go play the absolute forward tees, because we're in November here, we get, um, you know, we don't get snow in Vancouver very often. So we'll, we'll golf all year. So I'm saying, let's get forward. We'll all throw our money in and, and we'll fight from the front tees, you know, and, uh, and, and let's just have some fun with it. You know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with that. And, and I guarantee some of these long hitters are going to shit the bed, you know, from the front tees. Cause I've seen it. Yeah, they don't have the control. They just grip it, right. rip it, and uh, oh, we'll get up there. We'll shoot nothing. It won't be any good. And I said, well, let's just let's go, let's go see what the definition of nothing is. Yeah, no, for really, sure. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, because they'll be driving into hazards, and uh, you yep. know, they, they don't. Some guys just have to hit driver all the time. But golf wasn't necessarily designed like that. The architects oh. want you to, you know, see it, to see the hole for its design, and then play the shots according. And usually you'll get rewarded if you uh, do that. And, and even on a 300 yard par four, you don't need to go for it. You know, sometimes just get your ball to 190 and a wedge onto the green and you can still make birdie easily. So uh, that's why I like playing in Scotland and Ireland because the fairways were so hard, the ball would roll out and yeah. you get a chance, you know, to play into the greens the way they were designed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of the courses in North America, they overwater, they try to get everything beautiful and lush green. And that mm -hmm. ends up taking away from the playability 
uh, of a golf course. I, I like to see a course play for the season. So in summer, let it get browned out. And, uh, and, right. and um, you know, I love it because I gained 25, 30 yards in the summer. So, so no, it's great. So oh, this is amazing, uh, Barney. And uh, one thing I didn't touch on, but I'd love to hear your opinion on was, you know, this new battle in golf with Liv and PGA Tour. Where, where, where are you uh, sitting on that? Uh, you know, love it, hate it. Well, you know, come on, I'm 83 years old. I'm old, old, old school. Uh, I have no use for live mm-hmm. uh, because I think golf is about the best players playing heads up in the toughest conditions. Uh, it's not about uh, foursomes. I mean, you know, it's not about uh, uh scattered tea times and on and on and on it's it's a it's yeah. a dog fight it's it's a tough gig and i yeah. have great admiration for the great players i mean i listen at the but at the same time if somebody came to me knocked on my door right now and said hey bernie i said uh, we want to have a guy that's equipment knowledgeable mm-hmm. uh for live golf and we'll pay you uh 10 million dollars a year yeah. goodbye yeah i mean come on you know it's so you, you can't be too, you have to be careful and not be too hypocritical here because the money is pretty damn appealing. Well, hundred percent. From a golf standpoint, I don't like it. Uh, I will not go into detail other than saying that the uh, official spokesman for the live tour uh, is not on my favorites list. And, and I've known him since he first played on the tour. Yeah. And, and it's started off poorly and has gone downhill since yeah. there. So he, he's wanted to do this 20 years ago, right? Oh, he yeah. proposed it to Arnie and Jack and uh, the world golf tour, whatever he wanted to call it back then. And it was shut down. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all ego, uh, yeah. but I, w- I won't get into that. No, hundred percent. I've read that uh, they may be hiring Mark King, the guy that used to run Taylor made. I saw that too. Uh, so. That would be a good move for them. I think, uh, especially if they had a unceremonious exit for the other guy, but, who knows what's going to happen? Well, it's definitely brought a lot of drama into our sport. uh, Unlike anything we've seen before, you've seen the NFL and uh, other sports have competitors come in who usually have fizzled out, you know, for lack of capital. Typically Uh, that's not the case here. Um, I just, I don't like how it's separated the the sport and uh, everyone's uh, you know, it's, it's almost got political. People are on one side of the fence or the other, and there's there's some hypocrisy involved. And I just, I don't like how this has all rolled out. Um, So I I think in the end, the sport will sort it out. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're in for some more drama next year. And um, you know, but it's a shame that, certain guys aren't in the fields in the PGA tour and it's messed up the world ranking points. And John Rom talking about the uh, limited points available this past week and on the DP world tour. And uh, so it's just, I think in the end, uh, cooler heads will prevail and, and maybe Mark King is the right move to get in there and, and, uh, and, and settle, settle the air. Cause right now it's um, there's two sides of their back to each other and, and, and it's, it's not really good for the game, but in the long run golf will prevail. That's why I said I think you've got to uh, exit the commissioner because he's going to keep things riled up, and you got to get you got to get that out of the picture. Yeah, and Monahan isn't interested in talking with him, even though some players are maybe coaxing him to consider. But I think uh, if there's a hostile at the table, then 
uh, you, you may not get any resolution. So, so, yeah. um, but so, yeah, no, that, that's, uh, we'll, we'll see the saga will be continuing. So yes, it uh, will. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, they're not, meanwhile, they're not calling me. So what the hell life goes on. Yeah. So, well, let's put it out there. Call Barney. He's 10 oh, million Barney. a year. And you can uh, use them. Listen, I'll go for eight. I'll tell you right now, yeah. you can get me for eight. <laughs> get a BGT cart uh, out there and uh, for, swapping right. shafts. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So, no, that's great. So I'll, I'll wrap it up, Barney. It's, uh, stay on with me for a sec after I cut the feed, but I'll just let everyone uh, know that to check out uh, Breakthrough Golf Technology online and you get to check out some of Barney's products. They're, they are very good uh, up and coming products. And uh, this podcast will be available on Apple and Spotify and 15 or 16 other platforms. And it's live on YouTube right now. Um, and uh, yeah, th thanks again, Barney, for, for joining us. And uh, sure. uh, thank you for everyone who's listening and watching. Uh, I I'm going to cut the feed here.